Hello guys, good morning, welcome to episode number 35 of the Audio Podcast, as always with the Auto Bros, Jason and Alex on Cal. How are you this morning, Brad? It's Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, yeah, happy Easter to anyone who celebrates Easter, and happy Sunday to anyone who doesn't. It's a bit um, miserable outside, a bit drizzly up here in Brisbane. A little bit. Uh, a lot of the coffee shops were closed, but we mm. were think, like, we're thankful that there was a coffee shop that was open mm-hmm. to supply us with that sweet, sweet nectar that, that we mm. needed. Um, and fast, too. Yeah, it was quick. It was really yeah. quick. Maybe, like, I don't know, they tr- business is trying to get more efficient at getting people back out the door again at the moment? Or? Do you know what was surprised? It had a 15% surcharge, but it didn't reflect in the price. It was $9 something for two coffees. Not bad. Two big ones. I know there are any blacks, but... Yeah, that, that's not bad at all. That, that whole surcharge thing, does anyone realise that that's illegal? Like, yeah, you're not actually allowed to do that? I know. So any of you business owners out there who charge a surcharge for public holidays, which is... A, is Easter Sunday even a public holiday? So, I... It is. Okay. It is, yeah. And you do pay... I think, because there is a Sunday load, isn't there? So you're paying... The, yeah. the, like, the staff are getting paid yeah. ha- handsomely for it. But you were supposed to incorporate those costs into your pricing throughout the whole year yes. rather than just jack up surcharges on certain days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but then again, when you really, really think about it, I would probably prefer that the people who want to go out... It's like a toll road, right? Like, the people who use the road pay for the road. That makes sense. So the people who just want to go out and, and use a business on a public holiday, maybe they do should pay more because obviously the cost of the business is higher. It's like, I guess, um, you know, getting... Uh, internet at peak times or power yeah. at peak times or whatever. I I get that, but I don't like... It should just be one price. Then the reason why I feel that, it's the same with the Sunday load thing. I don't like the idea of of having to pay, A, pay staff more on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and I don't like the idea of everyone having to pay more on Sunday because I worked in, you know, I used to work six days a week and yeah. Sunday was the only day that you had off. So not only do you have to work harder than everyone else, now you have to pay more. Yeah. And sure, you earn more, but you work for it. Yeah, that's right. And then, you know, someone smart enough to work six days and only get Mondays off mm. gets a gets a free kick. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't like I don't like any uh, any outside modification of pricing. You mm-hmm. know that? Uh, I would rather it just be the price that it is it's clear, it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. I think actually think if we wanted to do something for Sundays, bring back, or oh, sorry, not bring back, introduce tipping in Australia for Sunday only. Because I think right. the quality of our worker here, the quality of our of our um, service here is not very good. No, it's, it's pretty terrible. I've actually got a story about that that I was going to share this morning as well. Um, but you're right, like the, the tipping system works really well. Like when I went to the States, uh, the United States of America, the service is fantastic. Mm. Everywhere you go, the service is really What good. other states do you think someone would have thought you'd said Islamic State? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what other states? I did, I did just recently have a fairly shaggy, crap-looking beard, so <laughs> maybe people would assume I'd go to Islamic State. Um, I don't know. I just thought I should clarify yeah, for some yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, so you went to the States. Um, yeah, and everywhere that you go, no matter how, I guess, expensive or cheap the, the meal is, mm-hmm. the service is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think that, you're right, in Australia, we, we think if you go out for an expensive, you know, high-class dinner, you should get expensive high-class service, and generally you do. 
but then we feel like oh, if you're just going down to, to grab a copy from the, the local cafe that because you're only spending $9 that you only get $9 worth of service and I don't think that that should be the case. Like wherever you work, I mean, we've still got minimum wages in Australia, so they're probably all earning very similar money, especially if you're in the same award rate. And so why should your service be any any worse? Yeah, it's relatively big money too for for what you're getting. Mm. And uh, the the funniest one that I can think of was actually getting in, in not an argument, but I played golf, and there was a young girl behind the that was doing the coffees. Mm-hmm. And I asked for a double espresso mm-hmm. and she goes, she's looking around the machine and I said, oh, it's probably under short black on your, on your till. Right. And she goes, oh, so it's a short black then? I said, well, you know, actually it's yeah. called an espresso. Yeah. And she goes, well, we'll just use the English words. And I said, okay, what's cappuccino mean? <laughs> I got in an argument with her. Like she was trying to impose some, like she was, she was trying to muscle yeah. me. And she's wrong. What's cafe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You work in a what? Cafe? Mm. Do you work in a cafe? Uh, yeah. You're serving a cup of, cup of kinos? Mm. Like... This young girl? Very young. Is this, is this just symptomatic of a generation that has spent their whole lives thinking they were right? Oh, potentially. I saw, a, I saw um, something interesting recently about how... Um, I think this sort of the, the generation that's like, you know, late teens, early 20s at the moment, I think they were the first ones who came through who got a trophy for everything. Right. Like that's that generation now who's come through. Yeah, I've not seen, I've not seen that because I actually feel that there's more sentiment of their struggle. There's more sentiment of their struggle. Yeah. Explain. So I've... If, if people had to guess about what's going to happen, like, like if I ask my, my peers, right, what, what they, what's going to happen with, are they millennials? No, they're younger than millennials, aren't they? Don't know, Gen Z or millennials or... Gen Zs. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, they're doomed, like, it, you know, they're, um, and, the, and then they oh, I'm hearing from their side, like, we're never going to be able to buy a house, we're never mm. going to be able to, um, uh, get some of the uh, good jobs and rah, rah. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if it's a... Oh, sorry, I will say this. That gifting everything is our generation's fault. No, it's the one before us. All before us, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. So I actually did, it was one of the most interesting training sessions I ever did um, when I was in cars, and it was a Honda training session where they did a full session on generational selling. Right. And they talked about the psychological differences between all the different generations mm-hmm. and then how you're actually supposed to sell to them. So... The, the first generation they spoke about was the baby boomers. Um, baby boomers are the golden generation of Australia. They're the wealthiest generation. Um, they came up really uh, post-war when there was lots of opportunity, mm. right? Um, so again, like they're, they're very wealthy. And to sell to a baby boomer, um, they understand that there's like a sales process and they actually expect you to follow it. And they also get offended too if you get to the end of the process. And you know how a lot of salespeople um, struggle to ask for the business? Yeah, too scared, yeah. Right, too scared to ask for it. They actually get offended if you don't ask for it. Because yeah. if you don't ask for the business, it's like saying to a baby boomer, I'm not asking you because I know you can't afford this. When they can. So that was one of the things about the baby boomers. Now, at the same time, the, the generation after them was Generation X. And Generation X were the kids 
of the generation before the baby boomers. Mm -hmm. So what happened with them, they had nothing mm -hmm. because their parents had gone through like the depression and, you know, gone through war. So that like resources were very, very scarce. Can I just add something to that resources scarce? Yeah. When I listened to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History and he was talking about it, yeah. that's where shorts came out. Shorts were invented because there was not enough material available for the soldiers that right. they, they, they just said, okay, we can halve the amount by having shorts. And there were no, uh, was it buttons or zips? One of them mm. was no longer used because they, they needed to Everything uh, use it to, to make sense to the yeah. war effort, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the problem with Gen X is Gen Xs kind of grew up very cynical because they had nothing. They were given nothing. Um, they didn't benefit from the same things that the baby boomers benefited from. And so then they watched as the baby boomers gave us, the Gen Ys, a lot of stuff. Mm. Like we, we benefited a lot from having boomer parents sure. who, you know, who helped us out a lot. Now Gen Xs didn't, didn't get a lot of that stuff. So there's a bit of, bit of resentment there. Sure. So when they came to um, to selling to Gen Xers, what they were saying was that Gen X is a fairly cynical generation, and most Gen X people they're the ones who've already done the you know two hundred hours worth of research online before they come in, and they want to walk into the dealership and they're going to ask you questions not because they don't know the answer, they want to know if you want to know the answer and whether or not they can trust you, uh. and also they're the sort of people that if even if they um, during your qualifying you go okay. The perfect car for you is a Honda CRV VTIS four wheel drive. Blah, blah blah blah. Even if you knew that that was the right car, you still need to show them the whole range and explain to them the differences between all the different products. Because if you drag them straight towards one product, their brain goes, "What's in it for you? Uh, Why are you trying to drag yeah. me to um, to this car? Is there a big bonus on that car? Is it old stock?" Like, it's funny you say that because I I had a friend that I was genuinely trying to help out he was looking for a van mm -hmm. and i still think he went the wrong way we we i basically had volkswagen had the perfect thing for him right the new crafter was bigger than anything else drives better than anything else mm -hmm. and at that particular moment it had it had a 1.9 percent finance so it's the cheapest money we we're ever going to buy yeah. we still had the full margin to use so i could give I, I could give him a great deal on it as well as like a guaranteed buyback mm. and he was just starting a new business it was the perfect thing mm. and i he's i said to him like i said why aren't you jumping at this and he goes i'm just trying to figure out how i'm getting screwed yeah okay yeah that was his that was his mindset yeah he's, he's my age yeah okay which i found yeah that was that was uh, not shocking. That was that was weird to me. I was mm. that people do think like that. Yeah, and look, obviously, the everything that I'm saying about these generations, these are all generalizations. Of for course, sure, for right? sure. Um, it's yeah. it's fine to talk in generalizations. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you this. Yes. So, as a Honda owner, mm -hmm. how do you feel about all these about Honda going online only, and the service network not being only being at the the dealerships that are still. I think the entire thing is bullshit, to be honest. Um, I got a lot of real problems with it. Not, namely, the fact that they're coming out trying to claim that it is a more customer-centric experience. It's not. It's, it seems the opposite. It's the polar opposite. Mm -hmm. So what they've done, they've reduced their dealer network, which means that even their existing customers need to travel further to yeah. receive service. Mm -hmm. They've made them fixed price. Now, for any of you who are out there who are looking at buying a car or selling cars... Generally, if you're buying a new car or a used car at a motor dealership, you've got three things that you can negotiate on. 
the price of the new car, the price of your trade-in, and maybe the finance package that you're receiving. So all they've done is they've removed one of your chances to negotiate. And they're trying to say that, oh, it's more customer-centric because customers don't like negotiating. Well, guess what? The negotiation doesn't go out the window. So because dealerships now can make less money out of the new car because they, they can't do anything on the price, so I'm assuming the deal network's going to get paid less to, for each deal because they'll basically just be getting a handover fee. Where do you think the negotiating's going to go now? To your trade. Mm. So now you just, you're going to have to spend more money on the new car, but for the dealerships to remain profitable, they're going to have to pay you less money for your trade. Yeah. Like, it, this this is not customer-centric at all. Look, I think I think a good online... So my my strategy that I've been talking about for probably the last uh, 10 years mm-hmm. was when... Actually, I think I, I came up with it when... Basically, when iPhone and iPad, they started talking about iPad, and I was so amazed with the technology, and I'm like, this is the future, right? And this is, this is how... It'll sound ridiculous now, because... Everyone listening now has probably had five iPads. Mm-hmm. But when it first came out, it was pretty amazing, yeah. that technology. And then I, I I, had this feeling that when people talk about automation, they're like, salespeople will never get replaced. And I'm like, well, we can be replaced by this. Like this mm-hmm. iPad can give precise information faster than what a salesperson can. So I always had this, like, this futuristic view in my head that that would be the end of us. Mm-hmm. And... But my view of the online model, because I, I think that we shouldn't negotiate. I think it's stupid that we negotiate on cars and we don't negotiate on shoes or yeah. or coffee or anything else. Mm. You don't you don't go through the supermarket and and scan all your items. They go one hundred and ten dollars. You go, mate, I'm Not sixty. Yeah, I'm, I'm 60, sixty. And people go, oh, that's just shopping. Well, you can get a thirty thousand dollars car for hundred dollars a week, and your grocery shop's about hundred dollars a week. Mm. Guess what? At the end of five years, your car that you've paid $100 a week for worth is worth something than your groceries. Than your groceries. Yeah. So, so um, it seems silly to me that we only negotiate on that thing. Mm. So get rid of it. Right? I'm, I'm okay with getting rid of that. But the idea of going online is to streamline. Well, it's, they're not even really going so, online, are they? Well, they are, yeah. yeah. They're going online fixed price. But no, but I think there's going to be there's going to be an option to buy online. But there's also they're, they're still going to have dealerships and showrooms that you can go and touch and feel, and but that's you can put push. your order in at the showroom. The push is to go online, right? So there'll be better deals for online because Volkswagen is dabbling in it too. There was mm. some there was some cars that you could get cheaper online than you could in a dealership. Yeah, just as a trial period. So it's supposed to be streamlined. Mm. So my idea for it is get rid of the showrooms full stop. Because you don't need these massive Taj Mahals, you know, you spend $5 million just to renovate one, mm. uh, when all you really need is a place to pick up your car. Yeah. So I, I think you'd have big holding yards out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. which are ch- relatively cheap to rent. That's where a lot of your, um, you know, accessory fitments, pre delivery mm-hmm. inspections, details and it are all done out there. Yeah. And then you truck them to, well, I had this idea of like delivery pods. So a, think of a normal sized dealership. But just like eight, uh, eight delivery pods, mm. and the delivery pod is like a really nice lounge sort of um, scenario. Big screen up in the back, and your car is in there. So mm. someone would go and put put your put your car in there, and you'd walk in. You'd get given a code on your phone to say your car is now available for pickup. Mm-hmm. Go to uh, go to delivery bay B mm-hmm. uh, in Brisbane and pick it up. So click on maps. 
I don't know, Uber comes picks you up or whatever, or you take your trade in there. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there. Yeah. You type your code in, opens the door, you, you walk in, you sit down in a lounge, and then on the big screen in front of you, the like a virtual tour of your car. Right. So this is this is where these controls are, this is what you do, and da-da-da-da-da. And that does this beautiful experience for you um, in a really cool scenario. Then the big doors open, you know, the keys are presented to you in this nice little... This nice little, like a nice box opens up and, mm-hmm. and and the keys are presented and you jump in the car and you drive off. Then it closes and then starts all over again. Mm-hmm. And then I thought from the servicing point of view, well, everyone's pretty busy now and it's always a shit fight taking a car in for service, especially those high, densely populated areas. Mm. Well, shouldn't there just be mobile people that go out and, and go to your workplace and service it mm-hmm. at your workplace? Or um, concierge service where they actually pick your car up. What? So you drive to work. Mm. Someone comes, picks your car up, brings it to the um, dealership, drops it off before you pick it up. Like that to me is streamlining and making the experience better. Yeah, oh for sure. Um, but let me ask you this. So, so a couple of questions about it. Number one, um, with the move to online, and obviously it's a cost-cutting measure, right? Mm. So. <clears throat> Is there is there the um, incentive for the manufacturers and for the businesses to even bother about trying to give a better experience on the pickup end when they've already got your money at that point? So generally, the whole reason why we've got um, massive showrooms and free coffee and all these nice things, nice like waiting areas and whatever, is to convince people to do business with us in the first place. So if they've already gotten to the stage of picking their car up, we've basically already got your money anyway. Mm-hmm. So w- would that not be a cost that these the manufacturers will probably look at cutting anyway? No, but like, like you said, the the generation that's coming through, they already know everything. So well, now, if you I, give, now, see, if you, now if you give them the power to, uh, to transact the way that they want to transact, mm-hmm. they should engage in that. See, I didn't get to get to that generation. Because what they spoke about with, so Gen Ys, Gen Ys being the kids of baby boomers who were given a lot of things, we were the friend, we were the generation that we just wanted a salesperson to make friends with us and to basically guide us through and we wanted to feel like we were being helped through the process the same way our boomer parents probably mm-hmm. helped us through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the generation after us, uh, which uh, I think you're millennials or you're Gen Zs or whatever, I don't know if... Are they millennials, I think, is okay. next, yeah. Um that generation has not really come through making a lot of big decisions. So what they were saying, like I I looked at um, some research on LinkedIn, uh, this is a few months ago, but they're talking about, um, you know, they always talk talk about which sectors are going to have job growth in Mm. the future and whatever. The sales sector, they're actually projecting to have more growth than most other sectors, purely based on the fact that the generation coming through has kind of had a lot of stuff sort of handed to them. So they're not used to making big decisions by themselves. So as much as we think they're going to have more information, therefore they can just buy a car online because they buy a lot of products online. I also think that buying a car is such a big deal. They still want someone to help guide them through the process, which is why salespeople they're projecting are going to have bigger roles even into the future. Yeah, but have you noticed that are there more salespeople now in the car industry or less? Yeah, but I think it's just a profitability thing. There are less. There's definitely less. But profitability is going to lead. Yeah. Not 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 um, research into what um, what buyers want. 
Well, exactly right, which is why I'm saying that, um, number one, I don't, I can't see a manufacturer um, cutting all the cost at the front end when they're trying to sell the product and then spending that money on the delivery experience. I just can't see it. Just knowing what the motor trade's like, I can't see them trying to make that such a good experience. But it's way, it's much less, it's, it's, a, it's a far cheaper, like purely from the real estate point of view, mm. it's a hundredth of the price. Oh, I, I understand that. Yeah. But I just mean like in, you know, we, profitability is obviously the issue. So therefore cutting costs is what they're trying to do. Yeah. I can't see them investing the money at the pickup area as opposed to spending the money up front trying to sell the cars more. I think that the way that the internet works and the way that um, review sites and things work, mm-hmm. that is massively important. And, and people want to know, am I going to get looked after? Mm. And... Um, Oh, look, counter to that, I know that when Tesla was trying to pump out a certain amount of Model 3s by the end of, I think, 2020 to help their um, earnings targets or something, Mm. and they put on a dock party, and you drove to the docks, and as they were pulling the cars off the ships, you would just get your keys and your car was down and Mm. blah, 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 and people loved it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think Tesla, Tesla buyers are... They want something different, mm-hmm. and I think that has shown that the experience can be different. Mm-hmm. They their models very different as well. They don't have full size showrooms. They've got very small yeah. display areas. They don't have salespeople. Mm-hmm. They have some information people yeah. there, and um, it's more about the experience of the car or being part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, their experience of the car is more significant than most. You Does know, Tesla take trades. Uh, ooh, I'm not sure. Because that's, that's the other element, too, that um, that sort of stands out. Because I know, like, obviously, used cars is... As the profitability gets pulled out of new cars, used cars is where a lot of dealerships are trying to um, centre their businesses around, or at least in, increase in their mm. businesses. Um, and that's the, that's the other element of if you, if you do just go everything online, you just order it, and then you just go and pick it up, then what do you do with your trade is obviously going to be the next thing. So that's probably another thing which is less convenient for the customer because a lot of people, as much as they complain about what they're going to get paid for their trade-in, a lot of customers like just showing up at a dealership, throwing the keys over and then driving out of a new one. Yeah, but there's, there's easy ways to solve that. Like So, for example, there are already, I think Pickle's uh, online auction already has a, they'll give you an instant quote, so you type in your details. But you account. still need to go somewhere else. Whereas like... Yeah, but integrate the two. What's that right? Integrate the two. That's not hard. That's an easy yeah. thing to fix. So yeah. so make that... Like, just put that part on your website. If, mm. Even if you wanted to partner up or if a dealer group like AP Eagers is big enough to do it themselves. Mm. And and um, when you're buying a new car, here's your, here's your details. Here's the price. Yep, happy with that. Drive it in. Mm. Drop it off. Put your keys in the, in the chute and leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely doable. Mm. You've just got to move away from um, your perception of how it currently is, and mm. just try and reassess what what the ultimate experience will look like. Because mm. I don't think it looks like the way it looks now. I don't oh think no, that's it's, the it's, it's definitely it has to change, right? Like I, it's interesting. I was talking to um, to Amanda about this during the week, and she has a um, a teaching friend that uh, she's a little bit older who has a husband who used to work in the motor trade 25 years ago. Mm. Um, 
left when he started a family, funnily enough, because mm. um, they didn't want to work the big hours and stuff like that, has done other things in the meantime for a long period of time. And now that the kids are all in their early 20s and moved out of home, he's gone back to the motor industry because he perceived that it was going to be the way it was oh, 25 yeah. years ago. Shocked. He'd be shocked. He's disgusted. Yeah. He's disgusted with, like, the pressure, the way they treat people, as in staff, not even customers, like mm. the way they are treated. He's like, I think he's looking at opting out again already. And it's just... It's not for him. Well, it's, it's not, mm. you know. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because, like, even when even when I, I came through, like, the first wave of the money had been ripped out of the industry, but I still made good money. Mm. So it gave me some opportunities, which maybe the next generation of kids coming through now might not might not get you know, so something's got to change. Yeah, and there's, there's ways that you can, there's ways that you can automate. There's things, <clears throat> there's things that we did that were just total waste of time. Mm. Um, you know, basically our own created red tape within within our own organisations, which were massively cumbersome. Mm-hmm. So there's opportunities there. There's opportunities to provide a better experience for the customer. But there's wholesale change that needs to happen from a manufacturer's point of view. And people like Honda are trying. They're going to try. Yeah, but even even them too. Like one of the other things that I'll criticise about this transition is, um, did you hear about all of the database stuff? Yeah, that was a bit rude. That was terrible. Like just paint a picture for the. Yeah. So so long long story short, one of, one of the biggest um, sources of income really for a dealership is their customer database. Because anytime you go in and do business with a dealership, they obviously have your data, they can use that for marketing, they want to bring you back in for servicing, they really want to have customers for life. Um, what Honda have basically tried to do, because I, I, it ended up going through um, the ACCC and I can't remember what the result has I been I don't know, what I think it's still being fought. Right, um, but essentially they just had an assumption that number one, they could just come through and take the Honda franchise off a bunch of their existing dealerships. Mm. But number two, that they could just take uh, the customer database with them mm. as well. And we're, they were basically arguing that that money, that, that, that those databases are worth nothing. Worth nothing, yeah. And we, you know, how often do we talk about like Google and Facebook stealing your data and how much money they make off your data? Yep. Like data is the most you know, um, it's the lucrative commodity that you can have these days. Yeah. And Honda's just tried to roll through going, oh, yeah, like, we just, you know, we're taking your franchise and we're taking your data. Their argument was because the original deal agreements, and some of them are 50 years old, yeah. don't have any provisions in there for data. Yeah, but even 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 dirtier still, did you hear about, um, so that they had the existing deal agreements in place, then they were trying to get dealerships to sign transition agreements, huh. and you had to sign the transition agreement before you could see what the new ongoing dealer agreement was going to be. Wow. And the transition agreement was basically, it had things in there like, we own your data, um, you can't sue us, is pretty much what this transition... Yeah, exactly right. So it was like, we're going to make you sign this document um, for our protection first, and then we're going to tell you what the new deal is going to be. Like, it, it was really horribly done. It'd be, what I'd be really, really interested to see is... When, because it's a case of when, not if, but when Toyota does this, because out of any company that has done business in the manufacturer, uh, sorry, any manufacturer that's done business in the car industry in Australia, Toyota generally does things right. 
they generally do a really good job of it. So I'd be very interested to see if they do it. I think you'll find that their system is... Like, the DMS system that's used is not a proprietary one. It's a, Sorry, it is a proprietary one. It's a Toyota yeah. system. So they probably... It's already, already integrated into their... Yeah, because they, they had re-signed dealer agreements like three or four years ago um, and they actually spoke to their dealers about data and stuff like that because they could see that that's the way that it was going. Mm-hmm. So they got on the front foot and was like, okay, this might be an issue down the track, so let's get our dealer partners together and let's talk about it and let's you know let, let's make it make the right decisions. Uh, interesting transition from... I want to talk about uh, Toyota because they are the kings. Yeah. They, are the, they are the Godzilla of, uh, of the motor... Uh, industry mm-hmm. globally yep. the biggest the baddest they're doing most things right mm-hmm. and one of the, one of the things that they're probably the only company that's ever been heavily associated with terrorism and it's done well out of it yeah because <laughs> the land cruiser was like the ISIS and the Hilux. car of, and the Hilux. yeah ISIS cars of choice because they're built so well they can handle those harsh environments dude I remember working at a Toyota dealership there were certain parts that you couldn't get because they were all being taken up in the Middle East yeah right. yeah. yeah so we need to give them credit, and I'll say this. I was selling Toyotas in 2010, mm-hmm. and everything was moving to diesel, mm. and Toyota refused to, yeah. and Toyota was... That's when Prius was... Like, Prius came out, and things. Oh, the original Prius was, like, 04 or something, like, 02 or 04, mm. but it never really sort of kicked off, but then they started selling some volumes in, in the later, later noughties, mm-hmm. and they said, no, we're investing in hybrid tech because yeah. that's where we think the future is. Yeah. Where are we now? Yeah. Okay, so that was, you know, their, their 20, 30 plan. Mm. They're right mm-hmm. now that we're moving to electric uh, electric cars. Yeah. So we should be looking to them. Now, the boss of Toyota has told the uh, Japanese government, the Japanese government wants to be completely EV, like ev- every car is an electronic, uh, electric vehicle, every new car sold is an electric vehicle by 2030 or something. Mm-hmm. And the boss of Toyota has gone, nah, like yeah. it is not going to happen. Yeah, you need to be realistic. Yeah, and when people talk about infrastructure, I don't think people understand how much energy is consumed by transport. Mm. And I want to liken it like this. How many people have solar on their... Like, you've, if you've got solar? Yep. Okay, do you still get a power bill? Yep. Okay, so your solar panels don't even cover no, your they, home... They can't power my house, yeah. So how are you supposed to get the renewable energy mm. for your road purpose? That's right. So and, th- and the other thing too, like, just think of it as, as numbers. Now, I don't know exactly how many people drive every single day, but I do know that in Australia, they sell roughly a million new cars a year. Yep. Roughly. Then you have used cars on top of that as well, private is exchanging hands. We have 25 million people in this country. I think it is probably safe to assume that at the very least, 8 million people drive. Mm-hmm. At least commute for work or whatever. The average kilometres that uh, an Australian drives every year is 15,000 k's a year. Mm. So if you've got 8 million people doing 15,000 k's a year, and now you've got to convert that all from petrol and diesel and gas to electrical energy, like, we already have... I mean, we only just got saved by Elon Musk down in uh, South Australia a few years ago mm. with the battery technology, because mm. that power grid was already going down. Yeah. You know? Um that is that is difficult, and especially when we are in this transition period where we're trying to get away from fossil fuels and get towards renewable energy sources. You know, how do you just overnight switch fuel and fossil fuels off and go go to 
uh, renewables for everything because I don't think we can even create enough renewables at the moment to just power what's already being powered. Exactly. So the fact that the boss of Toyota has come out and, and they've, they're, you know, they're probably trillions of dollars invested into um, batteries and renewable, you know, yeah. they're ready for it. Yeah. But for the boss of the biggest car company in the world to come out and saying to their, in their home country, we're not ready, mm. like I take that. Oh, I'll take sure. that on board. Because you've got to think too, like in, in Japan, you've got what, 70 million people in a fairly small country. Mm. Like if you're just trying to talk solar energy, like have they got enough space to build a solar farm to power? Yeah, no. You just don't, right? So, the, and again, these are conversations that you need to have because things do need to, do need to be pushed forwards, right? To, to actually get progress. You do need to have these. I remember um, I listened to Elon Musk on his last appearance on uh, the Joe Rogan Experience, and he he's he's like, if you want to solve the climate crisis, global carbon tax, global yep. carbon tax. If you put in a carbon tax, the economy will sort the problems out. Yep. Because as soon as you disincentivize people to emit carbon, they'll stop doing it. As soon as there's money attached to it, yep. they will find a way to, to either make more money or save yep. money, right? Um, and he actually, he said that he had approached the Biden administration when they first got um, voted in in January to talk about this. And they basically said, uh, that's a too difficult political issue to, to get yep. off the ground. So that's disappointing. But again, like... I remember when um, they were first talking about carbon tax over here in Australia. And at the beginning, I was like a little bit anti because I was like, I don't want to pay more taxes, more taxes, more taxes. Because a lot of these things, obviously, they always get passed on to the end user yep. generally. But it actually makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, our, our world, at least the Western world, is run on an economy. So if you can incentivize the economy to make the right decisions, they'll generally make the right decisions. Yep. If it's profitable to make a decision... That's the decision that they'll make, yeah. you know? But I think the argument against it is that if if we do it and China doesn't, mm. then they win. That's right, which is why you said global carbon tax. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that it, it is going to be... Look, do I think we should move to renew, renewables? Absolutely. I mm. think there is no doubt that we... It makes sense to me that we shouldn't just dig something up, burn it mm. for energy. If we can... If, if we can Especially in a country like Australia. Like, we're probably the best set-up country for running things on solar. We've got a small population, massive su surface area, and we get a lot of sunlight. Well, there's more There's more than just solar. There's, there's, there's a, a few different... Well, there's lots of different um, tech, and we need to move further in that tech. Because the thing that I worry about is solar panels have a certain life expectancy. Mm -hmm. And from some of the research that I've done the panels don't necessarily uh, create more than they uh, sort of, than the energy used to break them down right. after that fact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, can we get some advancements in solar panel tech? Mm -hmm. Elon Musk seems to think, no, that there isn't, because, yeah. you know, so maybe we need to look away from solar into, into something else. You know, we've got this massive ocean. Are we using, um, you know, uh, current, current based things? Like, mm -hmm. that would seem like a like a half decent thing to look at mm -hmm. but back the thing i worry about batteries so in my experience so for example i won't buy an 80 year old hybrid car yeah that's right because the batteries need doing it costs you a fortune we're talking like if, if you bought a prius if you want to get if you want to do the battery packs in a prius retail seven thousand dollars yeah 
Okay. And then what do you do with those old, old batteries? Mm. Now, apparently there's some people refurbishing them, but the dead ones, the dead cells, they're dead. Yeah. They just end up in landfill. That, to me, doesn't seem like the right idea either. Where's no. the, you know, we need some advancements in battery tech, for mm-hmm. sure. Now, in saying that, you're not going to get any of that tech without some incentive, some exactly. financial incentive yeah. to get there. So I, it, it, it is tricky, but I don't think it's, it's not smart to just say every car should be electric mm. when, A, we can't supply enough power to supply the electric, mm-hmm. and, B, we don't know what the world looks like when every seven years we're throwing a million batteries yeah, into right. landfill. And it'll be more than a million batteries too. Yeah. You know, it'll be it'll be every year a million batteries get thrown. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. After seven years, and then every year after that, it'll mm. be a million, million batteries chucked into landfill. I don't think that's that's good either. You know, as far as as far as I can see, nuclear is probably nuclear is the safest the safest way to do it. The only problem is we don't know what to do. Oh, two problems with uh, nuclear. It costs too. It, it it costs so much, and it takes so long to build mm-hmm. compared to a natural gas refinery, where you, where investment gets a, a, a earlier reward. Yeah. And we still don't know what to do with toxic waste. Literally, all we do is put it in a put it in a hole, concrete over it, and wait a hundred years. Yeah. And that's probably not the solution either. I've, I've been playing Fallout Four a lot lately too, which is all about the world after a nuclear attack. Yeah. At least I'd be prepped for it when it goes Yeah, wrong. yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, like, output, you know, how much plutonium is needed to generate a certain... Uh, um, I think it's, it's something like 500 grams or... No, uh, uh, yeah, 500 grams of plutonium will run a city for a year. Yeah, okay. You know, whereas whereas you know, coal is... We're talking gigatons. Mm. So, you know, I, I feel like does there need to be some more investment into... Or, or smarter ideas on how to get... Because then the other thing, too, is obviously people... Are, I think people are very scared of nuclear as well. Like, they've seen things like, you know, Chernobyl. They've seen... Um, Fukushima. Fukushima. You know, like... I, I even... I, you can even probably draw parallels between the current situation where I feel like it's human nature that the first... The first thing to do when something goes horribly wrong is to try to cover it up, mm. um, which obviously that happened at Fukushima as well, right? Um, and that that situation was look obviously we we would have learned a hell of a lot from that. So hopefully, if someone goes to build another nuclear reactor now, they go okay. This is what happened last time. This is what we tried to do to fix it. It didn't work. This is what we're going to do this time, and you know hopefully they pulled some data out of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I do think it, you know, that it, the the problem with nuclear is it does have that connotation that it is dangerous, and then, you know, it's it's hard to convince people to go, okay, we're going to put a nuclear reactor in your state. Which is idiotic when the stats actually show that coal burning equates mm. for a hundred x death rate compared to nuclear disaster. Yeah. But because you don't see, it's not a direct, mm. uh, like a direct correlation, like, you know. That person got radiation, um, mm. it got cancer and died, right? Mm. So, so, so that's a nuclear death. Yeah, yeah. But someone who has been slowly um, exposed to coal-fired whatever mm. f- over, over years, those deaths are way more, but we don't see it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or so, at least it's not reported on because it doesn't suit 
our government who makes a lot of money internationally by selling gold. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and again, that this is the whole thing about um, you really need to leverage the economy to incentivize progress. For sure. Because at the moment we're incentivized to stick to the old system. So that's what. Yeah. If you fix that, they'll, the, all the smart people will figure out. Well, I think that's what around. Mike Cannon-Brooks is trying to... So he's an Aussie entrepreneur. He started Starship, uh, which is a... Um, I think it's a superannuation fund mm-hmm. that's only in like tech the tech space yeah and he's big on trying to trying to get renewable you need you need a few more of those you know you, you yeah. need some people that with big pockets and um and i know i know people in my network i was talking to some people that uh have studied for many 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 years literally just come out of uni after like seven or eight years or whatever mm-hmm. and they're just starting to earn money now and i'm like you got to get your money working for you from day one like the there's one piece of advice is start investing now mm-hmm. And I gave them, I talked about that Vanguard mm-hmm. thing that you're on, and they went and read through it, but they found one on Vanguard that was more about sustainability and stuff that made them feel good. Mm-hmm. Well, I perfect. Like, that's, yeah. there needs to be more of those funds, and then if people are more aware of those mm-hmm. things, and we know that if we, the more money we make, the more we feel like we can give to help, mm-hmm. right, um, we can direct it. In the yeah. future, but you're right. It, it starts with the money. It's got and again, to be. it's financial incentive to do the right thing. If you could get paid more money to invest in sustainable uh, companies, or even the same money, or even the same money, people will generally do it. Sure, for sure. Um, getting back to the customer service angle. Mm. So, had a situation yesterday where Nate. So you know how Nate always steals the remotes. Mm. So Nate is just mashing the Fox remote. I'm not paying attention. Um, he's mashing, 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 mashing. Anyway, I look up at the TV just in time to see him go enter and order WWE WrestleMania today, <laughs> which is a $30 pay-per-view, yeah. which I'm never going to watch. We have to now. You paid for it. Well, I went to cancel it. Now, uh, precursor, when I originally signed up for Foxtel, we had signed up through Telstra as a bundle deal because I was mm. throwing in Foxtel for 30 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Right, that's cheap. So I've gone um, using the Foxtel remote to where the pay-per-view is sitting in the rented section because sure. I just went through to cancel it because you would think you've ordered a pay-per-view that's on the next day, there will just be a button to cancel it. No such button. Mm. So I go on their website. They actually give you a rundown of how you're supposed to be able to do it. The button's supposed to be there. It's not there. Mm-hmm. So I've got a call. So then I call. And I get someone who's obviously working from home because I hear a dog barking in the background. Yeah. That's okay. Fine Could be that. bringing your dog to the office, day. Could be, yep. Um, but I'm assuming it's not. So, But I'm perfectly fine with that. Anyway, um, she then proceeded to tell me that because my billing is through Telstra, that oh, yeah. there was nothing that she could do about it. Yeah. And I said, but I ordered the product from your company. So if I order a product online and I pay through PayPal and I want to cancel the order, I don't call PayPal. I call the company that I ordered from. You actually call PayPal. They have that function now. Yeah, but you still got to cancel the actual order. Yeah, but PayPal can facilitate all that. Yeah, I, I don't think that's correct. At the end of the day, I ordered a pay-per-view through Foxtel. That, that's for 24 hours in the future, they should be able to cancel it. So then it just doesn't appear on my bill that they send to Telstra and then send to me to pay for it. 
But from an accounting point of view, if they have not collected your money, yet Telstra has, and it's never been, it hasn't been distributed at that point to Foxtel, then they have. That's why they wouldn't do it. But Telstra, so we we pay on a like on a monthly basis. Sure. So what would happen is the pay per view gets sent from Foxtel to Telstra, and they put it on our bill, which we pay at the end of the month. Yeah, but Telstra collects the. Telstra money. collects money. Exactly yeah. right. So yeah. in other words, they didn't charge me as soon as it was ordered. So Foxtel should be able to cancel the pay-per-view and not send that bill to Telstra to then bill me for Yeah, I, I, I totally, from a functionality point of view, you should be able to go either either channel. You should be able to go to Telstra or, or whatever. You should be able to easily cancel. Well, you shouldn't have to make a phone call for a start. For a start, yeah. It you should, should just, just literally be, be the button on the Foxtel remote yeah. going, cancel this pay-per-view because yeah. it's but I, I, hours in the future. I dare say that a lot of those things are by design or, mm. playing devil's advocate, they're just, they haven't got... The process is down. The experience sucks because no one's thought of that because it doesn't... I'm sure it happens make... all the time. Yeah, 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 but it doesn't make them any to... money to solve that problem. Oh, yeah, but I guarantee you if I called Telstra, they'd be like, you need to, to call Foxtel. Yeah. Because they'd be like, you're an idiot. You ordered it from Foxtel. You didn't call Telstra and order a pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, so it's just a shit system. So what I'm actually going to do is, I hope said to Amanda, I got the shits, so I'm going to cancel all of it and I'm going to start again. And I'm going to, if I want to sign up for Foxtel again, I'm going to go directly to Foxtel and negotiate with Foxtel. So it's just between me and Foxtel. And so you're cancelling Foxtel? Um, I I will probably cancel it and then call them up and try and negotiate a new deal, but direct with Foxtel. Because you only do the sports on it, don't you? Yeah, look, we, we occasionally, watch, like we get some of the entertainment channels too, so we occasionally will watch stuff on that. But I mean, I've even found, like I'm even considering cancelling like Stan and Netflix at the moment as well, mm. because... Obviously, 2020 was crap as far as trying to create new content. So I keep going on there and I scroll through and it's all the same shit. And they're like, um, you know, what's trending now? Netflix. And it's like a show that came out 10 years ago because they're like, fuck, we need content. So they've just bought, they've just um, commissioned an old show to throw it out there. Um, we watched a funny one. So Tasha, it was Tasha's choice to choose the movie. <laughs> and it was like ranked sixth on Netflix. Can't even remember what it's called. But... Basically, the scene opens up, girls swimming, carnival, um, mm. she came second, you what know, flashes back to when dad's pressuring her. Obviously, dad's not in her life anymore. Mm-hmm. Sister rings, there's a big storm coming through, I think it's in Florida. Did dad leave because she's a loser? Well, dad, dad's, uh, dad's ostracised himself from the family, obviously. Right. Big storm coming through, the sister's been trying to call dad, can't, can't raise dad. Sister calls the main character, right. hey, have you seen, have you heard from dad? No, I haven't. Um, I'll, I'll drive down to the other house and see if, if he's there. Oh, no, the storm's too bad. Don't don't go and see him. It's too dangerous. No, it'll be easy. I'll just go down there. So she's driving down in this Is Kevin storm. Costner in this? No, no, but it is definitely a Kevin Costner movie. <laughs> driving down, and then I see on the side, and I knew from this moment, because I, I touched into anything about it, right? But I knew when I saw the alligator inhabitant <laughs> sign on the side. I'm like, I know, this, I know what's happening. I know what's happening. Gets to the house, um, you know, basically the whole town's evacuated because there's a massive storm coming. Um, can't find Dad in the house Please anywhere. Please tell me this, this movie is called See You Later. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> Goes down underneath, like, the, the crawl space underneath the house and she's cr- crawling through there and finds Dad. <laughs> That's where I'd check for Dad, in the crawl space under the house. Finds Dad. Uh, passed out, broken leg, 
So, so... What was he doing down there? He was trying to fix something. <laughs> so then trying to, trying to pull him back out to safety. Right. Massive alligator. And then the water's rising. And then it's just a horror movie about alligators, right? Just ripping people apart. Wow. And Tasha picked this. Did she watch the preview? No, no. She just saw it true. So this was number six on Netflix. Yeah, so I said, was it number six movies that came out today? Yeah. (laughs) It was just the sixth movie that was released today. Mm. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was unlike, it was, we don't watch that kind of of stuff. Um, Tasha kept calling them crocodiles, which is really aggravating me because they're not crocodiles or alligators. Um, And... Yeah, it was a horrible, horrible... Oh, no, no, but... Okay, so... But where the where the in, swimming thing comes in, you would appreciate this more than most. Like, you know how you try and tie two things to get... So, so obviously, there was the family dynamic. The dad had ostracised himself and... Why and, did he ostracise himself? Did they explain that? Uh, well, pressured too much and, and, and was too focused on her swimming and the amazing things that she could achieve. So, for example... So she saves the day by swimming him out of trouble? And he's yelling, Swim! Swim! <laughs> she swam away from an alligator. Um, yeah, so it was... The funniest thing is, in the real world, the majority of alligators bail when they see human beings. Because they know when they're as aggressive. So that's another thing that, that really annoyed me, is Tasha kept saying, I don't think that would happen. I don't think that would happen. She goes, I don't think, yeah. Really? She goes, I don't think these alligators would just be sitting there waiting for this thing. I'm like, oh, well, I thought if you're hungry, mm. they'll wait. Like, they'll 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 pray and, and mm. you know. Um, and then she's like, I just don't find it very realistic. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think it's a documentary. Yeah. Um, Dad, if you ever go missing, I'm not looking in the crawl space of the house for you. <laughs> I'll probably go to the pub. There's no reason to be down there. Yeah, no. There's no reason to be down there. No. But I have watched Godzilla vs. Kong. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All those movies are the best. Because you know exactly what you're going to get, and you don't expect anything else. Well, what I liked about this, and spoiler alert, but if you've made it if you've made it this deep in, which our stats show that not many people do, um, they explore the Hollow Earth theory. Right. Now, for, for those who, like, we've been exposed to this theory in, in the past mm-hmm. where basically the, 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 the globe is, the globe is as we know it, it's round, obviously. It's like an onion. And then, well, no, no, it's not like an onion. It, it at the, at the poles, mm-hmm. it, the gradient uh, in, uh, increases so rapidly or decreases so rapidly that it turns in on itself. And the core of our Earth is basically like another sun, but inside our planet. Right. There's talk about that's where the Israelites went when they were um, rushed out of Egypt, mm-hmm. is that they just kept going north, 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 and then went inside the Earth. Right. Okay, so that that's, I think... Now... This doesn't seem realistic either. <laughs> this was more realistic than <laughs> the alligator movie. Yeah. I think it was called Chomped or something. No, it was called Chomped. <laughs> but but um, the 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 way that the way it was filmed was brilliant. Like they really gave you a sense of size that some of the other Godzilla movies didn't do. Right. Um, I think some of it was filmed on the Gold Coast. Like Tasha recognised Miami School, the school that she used to work at. Mm. There there was a scene there, and she goes, "Oh yeah, I remember them talking about filming." Something. They did a lot of filming over here last year because it was one of the only places that you could. Yeah, well, yeah. the be- a lot of the beaches, and I swear there's tambourine. Some of the foliage is very tambo. Yeah, right. yeah, so 
great movie. Anyone go go and see that. That is great. That is it. It is. It was such a good, um, feel good, feel good movie. But I love Godzilla. Mm. And the the one that I liked the least is when Americans first touched it. Right. The ninety ninety eight one with um. Yeah, who was in that? Bueller. What what's that character? Oh um. Oh, what's his name? This is going back a bit. I know who you're talking about. I just can't. I can't. Why that movie sucked is that it goes against. So, Godzilla is the king of the monsters, mm. and Godzilla only attacks things that he thinks are a threat to the world. He's he's the balance of the world. Mm. Except in that movie where he just wanted to kill people. Yeah, but America probably was a threat to the world. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. true <laughs> so Godzilla was just trying to do his job. Yeah, I had not looked at the deeper the deeper wrong meaning about that. Yeah, yeah. there you go. But um, it was so well done. I, I highly, highly, highly recommend watching What's, um? Because I, I watched the... The last Godzilla movie that came out. That was pretty good too. Well, this is after that one. So this they're tied together. Oh, right. Okay, cool, cool. Only tied by the characters. Right. Like, you don't need to watch the previous one. No, and again, that's probably one of the good things about all the the giant monster movies is that you you can figure it out as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. there isn't like a uh, very nuanced plot that you're, you're probably missing. Um, I did watch... Oh, and I started the Harry Potter franchise last night. So I've right. resisted. I Oh, so you haven't seen them before? Never. I hated the first few movies because, in my opinion, they're kids' movies. But as they went on, I actually really started to enjoy them. So further and further through the series you get, the better they get. Well, I'll tell you what I was impressed with the first one is they put so much focus on building the world. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate. Because I hate movies where they have to where they explain it inside the movie. Oh, mm. this is why this happened because of da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's just lazy Yeah, whereas they, they, they did it so well. Now, the one thing I will... The comment I will make about the first... So that's Philosopher's Stone is the first. Okay. The amount of domestic violence that's in that... Heaps. Like, that's not cool. No. You know, and I said to Tasha, I said, do they... Does he get payback on the family that looked after him that treated him like dog shit? Mm. And she's like, eh, sort of. So... You know, that's the first thing I would In do. fairness, though, like, they still looked after him, so to speak. They could have left him on the street if they wanted to. Oh, that was the one hole in, in the movie that I found in terms of Harry's character. Right. So he was obviously beat down his whole life up to that point. Yeah. And I found it weird when Malfoy, is he the blonde? The, yeah. The blonde kid. How when he was trying to... He actually tried to extend a hand to him at the very start. Right. And Harry's like, no, nah, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Where did he get that smile all of a sudden? That's what there was no link to him being yeah. downtrodden. There was no setup to how he he was now like, nah, bruh, like I got this. Mm. That was the only sort of hole in it. But apart from that, it was re- I was I was impressed with, um, with the way it was filmed. You know, y- there was no wasted sort of. Mm. Everything meant something. They're well, yeah, they're they're very well done. And look, it, it's. I guess that's what happens when you you have good writing to yep. to work with, but also when you actually respect that writing as well. Like that, it's a very there's there's been many books that have been made into movies, and you had everyone goes, "Oh, the book is way better." Now I've not read the Harry Potter books. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Um, 
but Amanda's read them all. Like her and her friends were mad Harry Potter fans yeah, when they first stuff. came out. Yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> she largely said that the books were better. But I think it's just because you've got an idea of who the characters are in your own head, and then when you watch them on film, they're not the same. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't feel like you associate with it as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought there's some like very, very creative, very good writing, um, enough twists and turns in it to keep you interested. Yeah. Like, it's it's a good series. Uh, on that um, on that writing thing. I was talking to a friend the other day that we were talking about the Snyder cut of Justice League. Right. And he, he nailed it for me. Mm. Zack Snyder can't write movies. Right. If he's got a pre-existing story, like 300, because I love 300. That yeah, movie is great. Yeah. So if you give him a story, he can make a great movie. If you ask him to make the movie mm. and write the story, they suck. And they suck. So he's like Michael Bay sort of thing. Well, no, Michael Bay sucks. Period. <laughs> Period. I don't know if there's any Michael Bay movies that I like. So even the even the Transformers movies when I was a lot younger, and I, I would have been more into that. I always just thought like you're just trying to overstimulate. That's right. They could have been done so much better. Like, yeah. But again, that would have been that was a really good example of where less is more. Yeah. Like you're exactly right. Like all the effects and stuff that they used, it was, you know, they're showing off peacocking. Yeah, in a, in a way, it just becomes too much. It's the same way as I hated how there was like a run of films, and I think um, it was around like when the Bourne Identity first came out, mm. where all the all the fight scenes and action scenes were just constant oh, camera I cuts. That. I hate it. Constant camera. I, I hate that stuff. Yeah. And it was just like it was like five straight years where every action scene was exactly the same. Yeah. And then obviously you got the John Wick films where you see. Like, pretty much everything playing out real time. Yes, they cut, and, they, you know, movies are going to have cuts. But it's not like... The Bourne movies was like, a punch gets thrown, and it cuts to three different angles on the same punch. And you never see the... You never, you never see... Yeah, you never see it. the connection or anything it. like that. So, then, obviously, I think we're, we're now looking for a bit more realism. And I think that with Transformers, you know, there was already a Transformers cartoon series. Mm. Like, we've already seen it as fake as it can be. Sure. I think people kind of wanted it to maybe be a little bit more like a Godzilla movie where you bring in a bit more realism to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and I definitely think they missed an opportunity there. Yeah. So he did nail it though. So if there's like a, oh, Zack Snyder's made made this, I ain't watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't watching it. Well, um, I was talking to the sister-in-law yesterday and about that she was really keen to watch it. And so apparently the reason why Zack Snyder left was because his daughter got sick. Committed suicide. Right. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, Sorry to hear it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's why he actually missed out on, on finishing the way that he wanted to finish it. And then whoever came through and... Joss Whedon, who is the Avengers guy, who you'd think is just going to brain it. Yeah, but right. the problem is Zach's, Zach's view of uh, Justice League is is not the... Ha- like, make jokes. It's very keeping dark. Yeah. Yeah. And he had this construct... It just didn't work. Whereas uh, uh, my mate's suggestion, which I think was perfect, he's like, get an up-and-comer. Get... Like a Taika Waititi to, yeah. to do what he did with the Thor franchise. Mm. Brained it, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest problem, and, and I'll watch this in a review, is DC needs to decide whether they make standalone movies with those heroes mm. or they create a DC cinematic universe. Right. So with Justice League, they try to create a cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. But then... They don't tie together properly because they haven't done, done time. They haven't set up 
the characters. Yeah, for sure. Like the first Justice League had Aquaman in it, but the Aquaman movie hadn't come out, so we didn't know who he was. That's right. And, and again, that's like you you break that fourth wall where if they then bring out standalone movies and there's a crisis on Earth, it's like, why don't you just call your supermates? Yeah. You know? Why are you doing all this stuff on your yeah. own? You've got supermate, like... You can literally text five people right now who can help you with this. Well, the great one. So I don't know if you've seen Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. No, I haven't seen that one. So she she flies and she learns to fly. Right. But the Justice League movies come out after that, and she doesn't fly in them. So you're either mm. going to have the universe or have standalone, and yeah. either way is fine. But you can't have both. Well, you can have both, but you got to do it the right way, like the way Marvel did it, where they had the standalone movies to set up all the characters, and then they brought them in as this big crescendo. No, but that's. That's what I'm saying. That's them having a universe. Yeah, right. You can't... You can have... What I'm saying is you can't have independent storylines. Mm. Sorry, you can't have... Yeah, independent of the universe storylines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Joker, for example, is a DC character. Mm-hmm. Standalone movie that does not fit into the universe. Right. Amazing film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $50 million to make, gross a billion. <whistles> All right, so they'll want more of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I still the, haven't seen that. The, oh, you got to watch it. Yeah, okay. Dark Knight... Yep. Three movies doesn't fit with the current DC universe mm-hmm. and best films. It's like we're okay with those. Yeah. If you're gonna create a universe, do what Marvel did and make everything fit and it has mm-hmm. to fit perfectly. And 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 to to I think it's Kevin Feige's because he's a he's a massive comic book nerd. Every aspect of it just meshes together perfectly. Mm. But don't try to recreate that. Let let them have that if you don't want to do it. Yeah. But have have a um, just create standalone beautiful movies. Yeah, um, and I do think that DC does need to lean into the darker, grittier mm, style. Mm. Um, because yeah, if you try to if you try to get because really the DC characters are darker, they are grittier sure. characters than the Marvel characters. Um, and Marvel's already doing the action comedy thing, right? That, it's that's, done. That's sewn up by those guys, and those characters. Nailed it. Nailed it. You can't emulate that. So, you know, Batman, very dark, greedy character. Mm. Like, Superman, very vanilla character. Like, he's... You're not going to get Superman, and they, they're not going to be able to do, like, what they did with Thor, where they turned him into a bit of a jokester. Yeah. Right? Um, because Superman's supposed to be perfect. Yeah. Whereas Thor comes from Norse mythology, where they're all... Flawed. Um, flawed mm. gods, right? So, you know, Superman, they just got to double down, and, like, you're the, you're the vanilla god guy. Yeah. Like, you are... You're what perfect is supposed to be. Um, there, was a, there was a part at the end of that movie. I'm not going to get into it because I just remember it being so ridiculous um, in one of the last fight scenes. But uh, I'll rewatch. Martha. That's the most ridiculous oh, yeah. thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Was that the, our mums have the same name? And they realised that when Batman had his foot on... No, no, when Superman had his foot on Batman's throat. Why did you say that name? Like... <laughs> what the fuck were you thinking? Like, in a real fight, people make your mum jokes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just your mum, not her name. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't question it. Oh, bro, like, your yeah. mum's there too. Oh, oh, that's crazy. Oh, oh. Did we just become best friends? Yeah, yeah that's, that is what it I'm was bad. so shit. Like, but I just don't understand how many levels of... Like, how many people saw that and thought that was okay? Yeah. So there you go, there's a tip. Speak up. If oh, yeah. You could be the... If, you, if you're supplying coffees... But you saw that part of the script. Say, so mate, this, this is shit. Sucks. Like, are you guys serious? Yeah. Like this is what this is the the angle you're going with in like the most important part of the movie. It's dog shit. It's so bad. Martha. 
like our mums have the same name. But there was what also name? again, I, I'm, I'm. Which movie are you talking about? Um, was it the Justice League movie? The first, the first Justice League movie. I can't even remember, but it was. There was something about when Batman and Superman were fighting each other, and something. Just... Oh, Batman versus Superman. Batman versus Superman. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember it. Because I thought they actually did that part pretty well. You know, he was pretty well equipped. Because everyone just goes, Batman gonna get stumped. Yeah. But he had all the um, kryptonite gear, you know, k- kryptonite spray. Yeah, but come on, um, man. Krypt- no, that would work. Kryptonite, um, um, uh, knuckle yeah, so, do you know what Superman should have done? What? Stood over there and laser beam eyeballed him. <laughs> like, done. You're done, mate. Oh, oh, Batman's running towards me? Like, I just move out of the way. You're dead. Like, Does not make for a good movie. No, it's not. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just such a, I think it's such a silly concept too, because look, obviously I, it's that sort of David versus Goliath element. Mm, yep. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. But like it's the just, Dark, like have you seen the Dark Knight trilogy? Like when was the last time you watched um, the Dark Knight? Not for a while, but they were fantastic movies. Oh. Like, like I, that's one of my favourites. Like, yeah. It, it, it has got to be up there with all time. Mm. The, the best put together. And look, Christian I Bale s- doesn't do anything bad. No, I still don't like the Batman voice. Thing. Where is he? Yeah, I hate that. It, like, is it because he's supposed to be um, concealing his identity? Is that why he does it? Yeah. It's, it's so dumb. But, um... It all maybe does maybe the top of the mask is constricting his nasal passages, but yeah. he's like, <laughs> yeah, like it could be something like that. But, but yeah. oh, that's why I love the memes when it first came out, and it had Christian Bale, Christian Bale in his suit uh, uh, as Bruce Wayne with a tan oh, face. Tan <laughs> <line>. yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love meme culture. Yeah. But and, and the Ben, Aff- I liked Ben Affleck as Batman. I, mm. you know, I, I, he copped a lot of crit. Oh, actually. I he got criticism for the roid rage that he was uh, expressing to, in the making. I of. need to come back to the dumbest thing, the single dumbest thing about the just the original Justice League movie, yeah. was the fact that Henry Cavill had to have a moustache for the Mission Impossible movie that he did with Tom Cruise. It was written in his contract, Tom Cruise would not allow him to shave his moustache to film the super, as Superman. But the opening scene of Justice League is a close-up shot with CGI thing that you that looks shit. You know that he's got a moustache. You know that you're going to have to CGI it. Yeah. Don't make a close-up thing of it. Oh, and they did it all the time. God. He did a close-up smile. Yeah. And it looks like you know that. That's, to me, I would know to do that. Yeah. We've, I've, we've set the camera up in here. I made sure that, like, if I've got pimples on the left side of my face, I might sit on this side. Yeah. If I've got on the right side of the face, I might sit on that. I'll think about that stuff. The fact that they let that no, but production is, is that just an example of like director comes through going, okay, like you're, we're thinking of going in this direction. Look, uh, CGI guy, like, can can you handle that? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and then like they film it all, and the CGI is like. I'll just work on this. Like, I'll have it ready by the end of production. Then they film the rest of the movie. And, and you guarantee it's going to be good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, obviously... The yeah. deep fake guys, after the movie came out, the deep fake guys did it on Instagram better than yeah. what... It, but that that was just insane to me. And in the Snyder Cut, they don't have that scene. Right. And look, that's smart. And, but the thing is, too, that, like... This is the problem with those movies, and it juxtaposes as well with the Harry Potter movies... This is what happens when you have no real respect 
for the characters yeah. and for the history of those franchises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're just like, all right, I'm Hollywood director X. Uh, I'm going to come through. I've got my story already written for me by someone else because yeah. there's already the, the universe there. How can I make money? Okay, yeah. And I'm just going to phone it in. Like the Marvel movies, they have respect for the universe. Every element of the universe. Yeah. And then Stan Lee died and then they made Captain America gay. And they did it dirty. Well, this is... So, I, I'm all for the... Um, make them all gay. Yeah. As, as an experiment. But also, to make them look like a twink was not cool. Well, because yeah. Chris Evans looked gay in that. Like, Chris... the, the, the Captain America mm. looks more gay than he does straight. He, he wears, like, a skin-tight body And suit. he's jacked. He's looked after himself. His yeah. hair's perfect. Like, I, I don't he's know... He's gay. I don't know if any of you Hollywood types have been looking at, like, the regular population lately, but all the jacked guys are gay. Exactly. <laughs> like, all the straight guys are fat, like yeah. us. Yeah. So, so that... That... I found that... I want, I want to know... I want to know what the gay community thinks about that, because I'm, I'm offended by it. Yeah, um, Luke. Luke, what is your uh, opinion on that? Like, let us know. Because he's a big movie buff. So yeah. I don't... Like, like you said, if, if you want to make him gay, that's totally fine. But to make him... Stereotypically gay? Yeah, it, that's, that's not cool. And again, like, the whole, the whole angle they went with Captain America in, in the Marvel series was him trying to get back to his missus. Yeah, it could be a mister. But I see Captain America as a power top. But again, but it wasn't. And this is where you have to have respect for the source um, movies. Like you're saying, this is breaking through that fourth wall and it's actually removing those universes from, from each other. But you can have multiple universes. We know that now. So there could be a world, like the, 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 there are multiple yeah, um, yeah, universes. True. So definitely, look, there could be a twink one. Could be. But also Chris Evans could be the gay one. Yeah. Easily. Why couldn't he have been? He looks gay. Bring back... Jake Gyllenhaal to play his boyfriend, like Brokeback Mountain, because he can't get Heath Ledger. Oh, can CGI it? <laughs> yeah, you could deep fake it. It's <laughs> a real deep fake. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's rough. Um, but cool. that's the thing. You you have to have respect for your source material, and I just feel like whenever you see movies that. Like, it's not like they're short on budgets, right, for these, for these movies. No. Like, they've got massive amounts of backing, financial backing. And when they come out with something that's that substandard, you just go, you didn't have respect for the sort of material. You phoned it in. Well, I think, I think you've nailed something that I've been saying ever since the Saw movies. Money ruins it. Mm. Money, so, so you can, and Marvel's been the one that's probably used it for good, not yeah. the money for good. But I, I find, especially in TV... Money, that success and money ruins good writing. Mm. And if you have good writing, everything else comes together. If yeah. you've got a well-written show, like Tasha's watching this Mexican show that's really well-written, mm. we don't know any of the people in it, yeah. but because it's so well-written, you appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And writing's free. Mm. Free, you know, quotation free. Yeah. But if you... And I think that's what Michael Bay does, just goes, money, money, dollar bills, you let's, let's just fill it with all the CGI. Yeah, just... Explosion here. Explosion yeah, yeah. Here. That that is worse than than a like no amount of good writing can fix that. Mm. <clears throat> but if people are, are leveraging the effects over and Saul's the the first yeah. Saul movie was the amazing fifty grand I think they spent on that movie. Yeah, didn't they? Wasn't it um, a couple of guys who went in like a competition to? I think you had to write a script 
and if you won the competition, they would give you a small grant to oh, help you film. Maybe yeah. I think there were two, like because one Aussies, was Australian, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think they were they were in uni, and it was like a film competition or something yeah. like that that they won, and it was such a well. And again, because you can tell they didn't have the budget, so they were like, "Let's think about this. How mm. can we make this work with what we've got?" Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with some of these other movies, you seem the polar opposite. You just like. Oh, I can just use money to to cover over these. Like, yeah, you know, forget forget storytelling. Like, oh, oh, let's just put a big action scene in this yeah, section, yeah. And, and everyone will forget about it. Like, saw one's best best uh, role for Tim Robbins since um, Robin Hood Robin Robin been in tights. That's an all again good writing. Great writing. Great writing. Um, no effects. <laughs> no effects. Look, and that's that's an example of where like he didn't completely stay true to the original. Uh, source material of the Robin Hood story, but he did to an extent. So he took all those characters, made them very similar to the characters, but completely changed his... Um, the Well, not even completely changed, but changed enough to make it his own, like Mel Brooks. Yeah. Like, that was that was amazing. Um, but know, Zack Snyder would try and integrate that with the... with um, uh, Mel, not Mel Gibson, Russell Crowe's... Robin Hood, you're trying to put those two worlds together and they just don't yeah. fit. They're in different universes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to put them together and that's the problem. Because you even look at other iconic series like the Lord of the Rings movies. They were fantastic. Yeah. Because again, good writing first. So you start yeah. with good writing, then you stay true to to the writing. Yeah. Um, and, and they were amazing movies. But yeah, I just... I don't know. Like... You need I, to watch Joker. Yeah, and yeah. And you need to... Um, it's dark. Yep. It's as dark as a movie gets, I reckon. Yeah, okay. So be, be in the headspace for it, mm-hmm. but it is brilliant. It yeah, is nice. a brilliant movie. Yeah, sweet. So, um... Let's check it out. Yeah, definitely. definitely Beautiful. Uh, Alright, guys. Uh, that'll do us for this week, so thank you very much, and we'll see you next RDA. Bye.